Welcome back, everybody, to this week's RevOps podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock, Chief Strategy and Revenue Officer. Joining me, co-host Howard Brown, CEO and founder of all things revenue science of the company. And today, our special guest, Dana Tyrion, who's Vice President at Anaplan in the Chief Revenue Officer practice. Now, Dana, we were last episode having a fantastic conversation around sports and you know running technologies. And again, congratulations on your marathon win. Um, I think you might be the first person I've ever met that's actually won the marathon. Well, I, I feel kind of bad saying I won. Let's caveat with saying it was 15 people. Hey, a win's a win. That's all that matters, right? Now, we did leave off the last discussion, I, I won't say on a contentious topic, but I think on one that's worth double-clicking on. And you said this fascinating statement using drawing on your experience from years ago in the military of you know, the idea that we never leave a soldier behind. You always develop what you have because you're given what you have and you got to build people into be the experts you need to win a battle. And the same should go for sales. You know, How do we not let salespeople fail because the churn and burn mentality in sales is a very real thing, right? You cut the bottom 20%. Jimmy Patterson, famous entrepreneur, billionaire entrepreneur, was synonymous with the whole idea that every month, you know, you get rid of the bottom 20%, bring in the new cohort, let the best survive, let the best build up. And Howard, from your perspective, you're a you know, three-time entrepreneur. It's, it's cutthroat being an entrepreneur. Not, building companies isn't easy but you're also a clinical psychologist. And you know that the importance of bringing people out together and, and bringing us together and, and driving that collaboration is key. So I'm going to pose to you both the simple question that who's right? Jimmy Patterson, multi-billionaire, you know, uh, entrepreneur, built many companies, cut the bottom 20% all the time? Or Dana, is it the military approach that's right? Don't leave anyone behind. Well, Howard, I'm interested in what you have to say. I mean, clinical psychologists, yeah, I, I can't compete with that education. I'm, I'm speaking from my experience. And of course, you know, there's a couple of individuals in that organization that are just not going to make it. So it's not like you, you can't hold on to 100% of the people, but you have to you have to give them the opportunity to try to prove what they're worth and help them get to that point. And then they, they decide whether they can do it or not. Mm -hmm. But Howard, I'm, I'm curious what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, look, I I believe that it's critical that people understand what their strengths and what their weaknesses are and that they want to work on those areas of opportunity, right? They want to grow. And if you have people who are willing to invest in themselves and are willing to push themselves, then I think it's dependent on us as leaders to nurture that human being, to try and find ways to help them grow into what they can be. But as we were talking about at the break, it really is individual, right? Each individual has something that motivates them, whether it's they want that nice car, they want a house, they want to get their kids to college, whatever it may be that motivates them. Understanding that motivation, I think, is critical. Because when times do get tough, it's important to remind them or ask them, is that still what's motivating you? Yeah. Because if it's not, that's that's okay too. Let's discuss that. Or if those goals aren't your goals anymore, fine. But I think investing in individual relationships between sales leaders and the reps or the individuals that they're responsible for developing or coaching is critical. And I think if you think about sales today, 
it really is about relationship building. It's really about trust. It's really about an exchange of value. That is what's critical. If, if your sales reps are not developing relationships with your prospects or customers, chances are you're going to fall apart. Your company is not going to excel and you probably won't be successful. So what we're really talking about is how do we help individuals grow relationships? How do we help them build trust and value and bring that to their prospects and their customers? Well, I think what people are lacking is feedback. Like they, 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 they often don't know whether what they're doing right now is working or not, especially when you're talking about longer sales cycles and bigger investments in relationships. So I, I use the fitness technology as an example in the last episode, because I, I can see today whether or not I achieve my short-term goal. Like I, I did what I was supposed to do today. And I know if I continue to do that every day, I'm going to see the big-term goal, the long-term goal at some point in time. And I just think pe people are so, they're so reluctant to give feedback now. Like they're, they're so hyper polite to, to one another. They're afraid to have hard conversations with one another. You know, when I was in the military, if you needed a haircut, someone just walked in, hey, your hair's too long, go get a haircut. <laughs> you know, there was no, there were no feelings about it. And maybe we don't all need to live in a, a society like that, but we've gone too far the other way where we're so hypersensitive about one another's feelings that we're, we're hurting each other by not giving each other that type of feedback, I think. It's a great point. And I think that we're all thirsty for, at some level, for improvement. And feedback is an important part of it, right? If you're off track, Somebody should reach out and say, hey, you're off track here. If, if you're doing well, a nice pat on the back feels really good, right? Like the, yeah. those are basic human needs. We, we're all looking for direction and connection. What I love about today's technologies is that it can also provide opportunity for that feedback. So if a conversation is going awry, technologies can notify the managers and the rep that, hey, Things are going off track here. Sentiment analysis, right? The ability to actually understand if the email you're sending and the response you're getting back is off, technology can help with that. Yeah. Like there is amazing technologies today that can actually tell you whether or not what you're doing is working or not. So yes, human to human is absolutely the way to start to develop and approach human connection and development, but we also have technologies that help that scale, right? Your application, your Garmin can tell you if you're off track and remind you to get back on track. Technologies can do that as well. And so that's what I think in terms of sales technologies, revenue technology, they have to take all of this data and assess sort of what, what is going on in the relationship. What is going on with that individual rep? And can we help guide them or nudge them to a better outcome? Not removing human intervention or human connection, but providing technology that allows the manager to say, hey, this rep seems like he's off. It's time to provide some feedback here. It's really interesting when you think about what you're both saying there, because I remember um, during the pandemic when I was, I referenced back to my Gartner days and we were looking at engagement, employee engagement. And one of the things we saw there was that, um, and Dana, you kind of hit on this saying people have we've gone a little soft on giving advice around results or 
saying, you know, go cut your hair. Goals these days are very ambiguous because you don't want to upset anyone. We don't have a clear definition there. And to Howard's point, we've actually abdicated the responsibility to technologies now. We've actually used sales technologies to go in and say, here's a task you did or didn't do. Here's a thing you, that needs to happen next. Or we're buying technologies to automate the thing because we frankly are not prepared to have the hard, direct conversation. Now, I'm all for the technologies helping do that as it helps scale, but people also perform a lot better when you give them a goal and you celebrate the success and also you call the ball when they don't hit it. And, and you know, continue down the Garmin analogy or the Stride analogy or any of these fitness technologies, right? We sit there and go, you know, could you imagine a fitness technology? It was like, Dana, you know, yeah, you're, you're doing great. And you're like, yeah, but I know I actually didn't go running this week. Yeah. Oh, but it's okay. <laughs> maybe next week, could you maybe try something a little bit better? I'm not going to tell you what, yeah. but just keep at it, Dana, because I don't want to upset you. I just, I hope you will get out there and give her a run today, right? Yeah. That, that would be a useless technology. And it's a useless management style. It's the directness of it. And then if, if you're going to abdicate it, at least pick a technology that's either going to automate or a technology that's going to drive the exact engagement and when. Yeah, so there's a nuance between the technology and the individual manager who's using the technology to help that person become a better salesperson. I, I, I had a conversation with a data scientist years ago when we started to ask whether or not the technology would just take over for the human and they would take the decision-making authority away from them completely. If you imagine this, you have a sales rep, they have all these opportunities and they've been scored to the nth degree by the AI and go after this one, but don't, but don't go after that one. And they're just following that constantly, but they know in their gut that if they went after this one, they're probably going to win, but the technology is telling them not to do it. What do you do in that case? Do you, do they go after it or do they, do they follow the tech? and and say no and i had that conversation and the response from from this guy you know phd mathematics he says never never underestimate the power of the human spirit and that really stuck with me because i saw an example of it a couple of months later where my my neighbor's father um he he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer really sad and the the doctor gave him two months to live but his, his daughter was pregnant and she was not due for another six months. And Scotty stuck it out for six months. He saw, he saw the birth of that child. And then, you know, he wanted to see the first birthday. It became all about the first birthday. He stuck it out for another year. Wow. I, I saw him a couple of months later. He, he, was, um, he helped musicians. Uh, he, he rented equipment for them and stuff like that. I saw him at a gas station. He said, hey, Scotty, how's it going? He's like, ah. He said, I'm going off, I'm going to Aaron Neville's house to go deliver a piano. Like he was all annoyed, but had the big smile on his face that he was still alive. He made it not, not just to, to the first birthday, but to the second child being born. So they gave him two months and he made it, he made it three years. Wow. So I, I guess one of my big worries with this technology is that we, we are going to undermine the, the power of the human spirit in some cases and not allow people, the individual, they, they didn't get into sales because they wanted to be micromanaged. They, they got there because they have this fire inside of them and they want to be able to do some of the things. So I think we need to temper that. Yeah, it's a great point. And thank you for sharing. What a beautiful story. I love hearing about the human spirit and how, you know, it, it, 
it's just remarkable. And, and he defied all the models. Yeah. Right. right yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing, right? The, the, the models are never a hundred percent accurate. They're just not. And, and, and never discount the human spirit, the human mind, the human condition. Um, now, having said that, it's hard to, it's hard to predict a, uh, success in a company on those edge cases, but yeah. your point is really valid, which is you don't want to get rid of human intuition and you don't want to shut down someone's, the things that fire people up or get them excited or where they feel pride. I think about artificial intelligence. We talk about it a lot here. The idea of artificial intelligence versus augmented intelligence, what I think we need to do is continue building artificial intelligence that serve humans, right? And augment our intelligence, yeah. right? It's not replacing our intelligence. It's not having machines doing the job. It's augmenting our intelligence. It's providing us, you know, options and, 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 and options that we still have choice, but we can clearly see in the data that if I do this versus that, that doesn't mean I have to, that I don't have the opportunity to go after this because it's not within the, the realm of possibility according to AI. So I think it's really, it's, it's managing that that's going to be key going forward. Yeah, I think it's a good intuition enhancer. Yeah. Like it can help you, we have blind spots. It can help you understand what your blind spots are. And then it can also help you see a path forward and the path might be difficult but it will at least give you some prescriptions for it. So I, I think it's positive. What, what I, what I fear is bad managers, you know, the ones that will just use it as a, as an instrument to beat their people. Yeah. Although I, I honestly, I, I worry less about that. And I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for AI as Howard knows, Danny, you may read in here and there. You know, when you, we think about how machine human collaboration is happening today and where it's going, it's really about taking tasks and workflows that are repeatable in a job and removing that from the human element, right? Like I, I really, I don't know of anyone that ever went into the, say, the profession of sales to do CRM entry. Yeah. Wow. I, I want to go be a sales rep to like totally nail entering in forecast updates and deal stage updates, right? They, they yeah. don't. They go into, is there beautiful, wonderful storytellers? that have a unique passion and a way of picking up, hey, here's, here's a thing that's being built or a service being provided. And I want to tell the world what that is doing, the problems it's solving for, the challenges that it is dealing with. And I know it's, it's very easy to say they, they need to be wonderful storytellers, but AI can help them do more of that and less of the work task and, and input level pieces of the job. And then when you get into the conversation, you can start to see, well, what, what makes a great storyteller? Because when you ask top reps, and, and Dana, you're in a CRO office, right? Howard, we talk with CROs all the time. You know, most can't actually tell you characteristically what makes a great sales rep, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's where natural language technologies begin to come in because they, they're helping us flush that out, not to replace, to augment and amplify what is the best of being a great storyteller? I think m most of us in, in these leadership positions who are responsible for making technology decisions don't really understand AI, ML, yeah. <laughs> any of that stuff. And I, I had it wonderfully explained to me by a guy named Dr. Michael Wu. 
he's the chief AI officer for a CPQ company called Pros. And he, he basically just took you through the iterations. There's four different stages. You start you start with descriptive statistics. It's just a list of of numbers, and it's up to you to read the tea leaves and try to understand what's happening. And that's where we started in sales operations. We had spreadsheets and numbers, and we, we, we were very valuable because we understood the correlation of those numbers in our minds, and we could explain it to people. So from, from the descriptive statistics, then you get into predictive analytics, and you, you need processing power and numbers, and then you can predict what's going to happen based upon the numbers that you see in front of you. And his description, not mine, then you can become prescriptive, like, okay, here, here's the numbers, here's what's going to happen in the future, here's what's potentially going to happen in the future if you alter the decisions that you're making, which I thought was a pretty cool way of describing it. And then finally, he said, well, artificial intelligence never makes the same mistake twice, unlike a human. And it comes to the point where the models are so sophisticated that you trust the AI to make the decision for you, and it no longer has to come back to you and ask you what it is that you want to do. So instead of pre prescriptive, it, it, it takes over the decision-making authority for you because you've trusted it and you allow it to happen. 20 years ago, I didn't understand why salespeople were updating sales stages themselves. And it's, it's 20 years later, which they're still doing it. That shouldn't be happening anymore. Like the AI should take over and know based upon the conversations that you've had in the, in the, the, interst the interchanges that have been had in the buying power of this person and the, your track record, this is a stage five. And then the, the last part is, is exactly what you described. The, the final stage, Alistair, is every, I think, well, in the U.S., people are, are familiar with Waze or GPS, where it, it, it guides you on the best route from point A to point B. And he said, instead of the machine telling you to take a left or take a right, it becomes a self-driving car. And it just takes you out of the equation. And you can sit in the back seat and do whatever you want to do while it's doing it for you. And that's the real benefit, like you said. It's taking over the administrative tasks that are just boring and mundane, and it's giving the salesperson the opportunity to work on those higher value uh, activities, the ones that are going to help grow the business and, and close deals. So, Dr. Michael Wu, thanks for that. And I, I think it's a great description of it, the layman's description. Yeah, and I, I, I would just add to it that the there's a lot of AI out there. It's pointing AI at the right things, right? It's, it's pointing it at the things that, that remove the creativity, the humanness, um, because they're task oriented, because they get in the way of our relationship building, our, our connection with other people, which deliver value, right? Michael Wu's example of uh, Waze, right? Like Waze is great. And to his point, like Waze then connected to self-driving automobiles. But as a avid Waze user, I can tell you that I've been on a freeway and it's had me get off the freeway and driven me through or, or suggested I've gone through neighborhoods where I probably should not be. So, you know, that intuition, like we're not there yet. Let's not delude ourselves to believing that the technology is there. There's still massive data sets that need to be analyzed. There's human intuition. There's all of these things. So we can solve a lot, but let's not, let's not think it's there yet and can solve it all. AI is logical. I don't know if it will ever be wise. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not wise to, to to drive through that neighborhood at that time of night. And I don't know that it'll, I mean, maybe you can feed an algorithm, but it's still not going to have that discretion and that experience. I agree, but I'm going to be deliberately argumentative here. Okay. And Howard, I'm trying to recall the exact number here, but 
when you look at parenting statistics, and I have three children, parents' abilities to I detect a lie or use their intuition around what somebody should do is, is proven time and time again to be woefully inaccurate. Humans are actually pretty darn terrible at judging and applying what we're talking about here, intuition and gut calls. Yeah. We're generally wrong. We generally make the wrong decision. We generally are terrible at both inductive and correlating reasoning models and all of these things, right? And you just insert analogy after analogy and go, we can't detect lying. We can't detect truths. We can't actually make good calls on where to drive and how to drive, right? As evidence, you know, beyond the parenting statistics, where I think it's parents are off something 80, 90% of the time. It's a massive amount. Driving to, to the point of the analogy there, you know, Humans are the cause of why driving is so dangerous and their accidents are so high. Self-driving vehicles can drop accident rates by you know three, four, five percent, which is real-world GDP impact that you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars in economies like America. Yeah. So like I, I want to believe that trusting the human is the right thing to do. But where's the evidence to support it apart from our legacy view of how people are versus the AI models that are woefully better? Well, let, let me argue back. Sorry, I'm going to jump on this one because <laughs> we were all kids at one point, and I'm sure some of us lied to our parents, right? And, and the truth of the matter is I suffered the consequences of lying to my parents. If, if my parents were machines and knew 100% of the time that I was lying to them, I probably wouldn't have learned some of the lessons I needed to learn in life as a human being. Yeah. So I, I take your point with self-driving automobiles, but again, we're talking about relationships and humans. And I think where it's helpful is absolutely guiding us and making suggestions. But why do I need a parent if a machine can tell me 100% of the time how to raise my kid or when my kid is lying? Yeah. So I'm going to be argumentative as well. What do you got, Dana? It was a lot easier to lie to my mom than it was to my aunt because <laughs> she would call bullshit and my mom had a blind spot, right? So maybe parents have a natural blind spot for their kids. But it's, it went back to what you said, uh, Howard. It, it augments your intuition. It doesn't replace your intuition. And if parents could use some unbiased, objective advice from time to time, when it comes to dealing with their own kids, I, I know that I've got soft spots for my nieces and nephews. I don't I don't have uh, kids, but I, I know what that's like. So, I, hey, I could use some help. I could I could use an honest broker occasionally to tell me because I can't see it. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm going to drive this back to the revenue piece here yeah. to counter my own statement of this. Well, you know, AI, I do think, is absolutely where the convergence of that around workflows, tasks, and supplementing humans is key. And even already today, I know we said, look, AI is very advanced. It's not all there. But a lot of it is. Like Dana, I think of what you guys are doing Anaplan, what we're doing Revenue IO, and countless others you know, across the space. But the statistics are that insight-driven firms, so companies that are using insights to drive sales engagement in some way, are 30% more likely than their peers to drive year-over-year -year revenue growth of greater than 15%. So like, we're making a difference right now. We're talking a big future of AI augmented and all of that, which is great. But the reality is when you think of engagement support, we think of next best action, we think of you know the taking away the CRM difficulties or the forecasting difficulties, Dana, all of those things, you can do a lot of that now. And when we think of what we can do, 
what what's our advice to everybody? What are, what are, if you were to pick an area, Dana? You're sitting with the CRO right now. What's what's the big nugget you're going to tell them to go focus on? Well, I, so I, of course I'm going to look at a, bit, a little bit biased to this because I work for Anaplan. I work for a planning company, but I, I see companies spending tens of millions of dollars on these AI enhanced technologies to try to help their salespeople achieve a number that was set poorly in the first place. So I think the fundamental problem to be solved within sales is, is planning to get the, the number right at the beginning of the year. And the reason why they miss it and they don't get it right, well, it, it can be a number of reasons. Number one, it could be an unrealistic expectation set by the board of directors and the, the executives of the company. They just pick a number out of the air and say, go hit that, even though it's not based in reality. But if we could do a better job using solutions like AI to help inform them of, of what's more realistic, we could do a better job. And also the time constraints, because you run through an annual fiscal year, six months before the beginning of the next fiscal year, you start planning for the next one. You're trying to close out the current fiscal year. You're trying to do everything you possibly can to get the next one off the ground. These sales and revenue operations organizations are just so thinly stretched. You couldn't possibly hope to get a thousand sales plans, which if you've got a thousand sellers, it's realistic, right? Can you imagine trying to get a thousand sales plans right within a period of six months. And during that six months, you're actually trying to close up the current fiscal year. I, I think that we need to raise the expectations on sales planning. We need to, to hold ourselves to a fiduciary responsibility for getting quotas right and territories right and try to elevate that so we give these people a better chance of success and then augment it with all the other technologies that you guys are, are, are mentioning here. I agree, but unfortunately, I think the reality for most is, you know, I think of an average large enterprise doing sales planning I, I don't even believe they largely set sellers up for success. It's a numbers game. Hey, I know that 20% aren't going to make it. I know that I want to limit actually the upside of those that overmake it because the expense of overpayment and what that does to my potential street call number. I actually build systems to get to most to go, if I'm in between the 80 and 90 percentile range, overall average, I, I'm good. Like it's just running to be average instead of running to be excellent. When, when I was in the military, I, I went to airborne school, right? It was like three weeks of jumping out of airplanes. And I, I remember asking the jump master, there's a lot of humor in the military. I said, hey, how do I know that my parachute was was packed accurately? How do I know this thing's going to open? He said, well, the quality control is that all these these parachute packers, every couple of days, the jump master walks into the, into the shack and tells them to grab one of the chutes they just packed, get in an airplane, you're going to go jump with it. And that, that, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he told me. And maybe that's how he made me feel better. So I would jump out of the plane. But if you ask somebody in sales and revenue operations, if they would pick one of these quotas and jump with it for the next 12 months, I, well, hey, I've set a lot of quotas in my life. I can tell you I didn't do it with a lot of exactness, not with the exactness required to make that shoot deploy. That's the level of standard that we should be holding ourselves to. Like you should be able to trust your life with that quota in that territory that you just set for that person. And we know. We have the technologies. Anaplan is one of the technologies that can help you do it. We've got the technology to help you do a much better job, but we still let ourselves off the hook. We're still okay with, ah, we got it roughly right. And at some point in time, we can't do that anymore, especially this great resignation is real. And you're not losing your worst employees. You're losing your best employees. And most of the time you're losing them because they just feel like they've been lied to, like they've been set up for failure. And Howard, I think roughly right isn't good enough in any circumstance, but especially when it comes to sales. At the end of the day, even if we're roughly right as a company, that still means we're largely wrong for some. It's not good enough on a forecast. Roughly right doesn't cut it on a forecast. Nope. And it shouldn't cut it on a plan. 
No, and if we're honest, it shouldn't cut it on on people. No, right? Like, shouldn't we be the best we can be for every single person that we can? Right? Like, I I don't I did use your parachute analogy. I used to skydive years ago. I'm not sure I would have gone with. Well, I think we're pretty close. I think I'm roughly <laughs> right on probably shoot. Like, I, you know, yeah, 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 good enough. I you know I, I and you know what? If 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 eighty percent of us make it, we're all that's good. Or even hey, like ninety nine out of a hundred times, this thing opens. I get the risk is a little bit different, right? I don't want to be the one percent. That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> so, Howard, this is a human game at the end of the day. How do we bring this back to unleashing human potential? Yeah, unleashing, unlocking human potential with technology, right? Like, how do we study what human beings do well, what works, what doesn't, for that individual? and help prescribe things that benefit them. And that's what technology does today. Some of the best technologies take all of the information, not just as the organization, but contextual to what has worked for that rep before in similar situations and prescribes that, uses all the data as, as, as we've been talking about, but to help in that situation again, Companies that invest in technology and deliver guidance in the moments that matter outperform those that don't. So focus on helping your reps improve, helping them feel like they have a true advocate in the organization that they work for, or to Dana's point, they'll leave. So we have to invest in human performance, helping our reps achieve those numbers and exceed them because quota isn't the end line. Right. You hit it and, and you've achieved. No, it's just the beginning. You're like you run that marathon. You want to keep getting better. You want to keep improving. Right. So let's not just set a quota for our reps that they can hit. Let's also set something and set them up to blow it out so that they can make a lot of money, that they can continue growing. That's what I'm super excited about. Well, Howard, I, I never, I never talked to you before this podcast, but I'm really excited to hear that there's somebody with a clinical psychology background that's out there founding sales technology companies and thinking about this from a human aspect. Like, how do I help improve human performance? Because a lot of these tech companies have been developed by sales ops guys like me. You know, science projects that were spreadsheets that turned into tech, <laughs> and they weren't really thinking. They were thinking about how to make the numbers easier to analyze for themselves, but not thinking about how to enable reps to do a better job and to perform better and, and to reach their own peak performance. So, it's great. I'm really, really excited about that. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Dana Howard. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Dana, I think I say without question, be wonderful to have you back, and we could dive into a couple of things I've wanted to explore i.e. a future where it's quota less. Wow. And how do we actually build systems where there is actually maybe a world where CRM is a one-to-one ratio instead of a one-to-four, one-to-six ratio to hit our numbers. Yeah. So, you know, the background, uh, the expertise over at Anaplan, things like that, perhaps we can have that discussion at some point and pull a few threads. But if nothing else, thanks for all the great stories, the inspiration for us to go out and run and maybe uh, maybe we'll come compete up in Maine and uh, take uh, go do a marathon up there at some point with you. I'd love to see you guys come up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. For the audience, please do remember to like and subscribe. We always appreciate it. And don't forget to phone in with your questions. We are live now and uh, have done a couple episodes of live audience questions as well. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. 
and behalf of Dana, Howard, myself, have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you.